Hello and welcome to JLGB Virtual We Are Live. As part of JLGB's recent adjustments to the coronavirus lockdown, we have been helping parents and young people stay entertained and active all online. In order to adapt our delivery to the government restrictions, on the 23rd of March, we launched JLGB Virtual, which runs every Monday to Thursday evening. This is our way of ensuring that we can continue to delight, inform and entertain young people so that they can have some fun, learn new skills and make a difference. Sessions include skills like magic, upcycling and coding. Physical activities and the focus of this podcast series, interviews with expert speakers from a range of backgrounds, including famous actors, social entrepreneurs, government ministers and many more. These interviews are run by young people like myself. So if you have any questions or want to get involved, please reach out to us on any social media platform. Just look for JLGBHQ and message us. We have so many exciting guests for you to listen to and we hope you'll join us live very soon. For now though, join us through our catalogue of guests. Today's guest is comedian, actor, director and producer Bob Saget, star of Full House and How I Met Your Mother. Sit back, relax and I hope you enjoy. Bob Saget is an American stand-up comedian, actor, television host, director and producer. Born to a Jewish family in Philadelphia, like all good Jewish boys, originally intended to become a doctor. But his English teacher saw his creative potential and urged him to seek a career in film and has been in the showbiz ever since. Of course, Bob is best known for his television role as Danny Tanner on the classic sitcom Full House and its Netflix sequel, Fuller House. But many of you will also know him as the voice of the future Ted Mosby on the hilarious sitcom, How I Met Your Mother. Bob has also hosted America's Funniest Home Videos in the 90s and has performed in some incredible stand-up routine specials. But his 2014 comedy album, That's What I'm Talking About, was nominated for the Grammy Award for Best Comedy Album. Recently, just before the pandemic hit, Bob launched his very own podcast called Bob Saget's Here For You, using his show not just to talk to other comedians, but reach out and connect with fans too, including our very own CEO, Neil Martin. We are so privileged to be joined by another comedy legend and honoured Bob has found the time to speak to us despite his busy schedule. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, live all the way from Los Angeles, please welcome tonight's very special guest, Bob Saget. Good evening, Bob. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you, Abby? I'm good, thank you. Hi, how everybody. How been for you and how have you been keeping positive? I, you know, every day I try to wake up positive and that's before I turn on the news. Yeah. Um, and so everybody's, you know, I have three daughters in life, life, uh, uh, 33 and 31 and 27. Those are not their ages. Those are their names. We didn't give them names. We just numbered them. So I, I try to wake up with some humor and some positivity, even though life beats us all down, especially now everybody's in quarantine. If you need me to talk for four or five hours, I'm fine. I'm just going to sit here and just, you know, I'll just be on the zoom all day. <laughs> Um, it's a pleasure to talk to uh, so many people and uh, so many people that are of like-minded. My whole thing is kindness. Um, I launched the podcast because everybody has a podcast, literally everybody. <laughs> I have my, my uh, mail delivery person has a podcast, everyone. But I launched it. I was going to go on a tour 
and I might have even come back to London. Last time I was there was at Leicester Square Theater, and I loved it so much, and I, I wish I was there in quarantine with you guys. But I, um, I put out this podcast called Bob Saget's Here For You. Sorry, I used my name in a sentence, but um, <laughs> very narcissistic, self-serving, but, and I'm not a rapper, but, um, but it's, I did it before the pandemic hit um, because I wanted to help because I was out touring mostly North America and I was uh, just feeling a lot of, of anger and racism and, and I was faced with a lot of anti-Semitism as a kid. I was in Norfolk, Virginia, and it was pretty anti-Semitic. I mean, this is actually, I have a prop, but I showed it to you before we started, Abby. This is the mezuzah from my house in Norfolk, Virginia, when I was a kid, and I have never opened the back. So that's my public service announcement. Everyone never opened the back of a mezuzah. That's, uh, and I also have this, because I keep it on my desk, because I wish I was living there with all of you. And we could hold weekly meetings. Yeah, that'd be great. So obviously we're so pleased to have you on our JLGB virtual program tonight as we celebrate 125 years of JLGB. We've been boosting positivity and keeping children and their families active, healthy and entertained for 30 solid weeks now since lockdown began here in the UK. Mm. And have been seen by over 2 million people thanks to the help of a special guest like you helping us every evening. So what made you want to join us except for Neil that you know may have pestered you a bit too much <laughs> neil martin is the sweetest man and i was recording my podcast and we have voicemails that people sometimes leave for me on days where i call people and neil left this message and i went wow this is a very kind man and i and i called him and he answered i think it was late it was like one in the morning or i don't know it was off off time and uh he has a baby but obviously talking to me was much more important than his child yes. <laughs> and, and we had a lovely conversation then he asked me to be on on this show and I, I said yes immediately because it's the sweetest thing in the world to try to help people through this time and um, I, I'm not an ageist, ageist so I still feel like I'm almost getting bar mitzvah you know I, I can go back I, I don't talk to having done work with a lot of young actors and actresses I, I never felt and, and my kids and their friends I never felt like oh you're a kid and I'm the parent I I'm very childlike in many ways <laughs> I'm just not very smart that's not what I mean because most I look up to kids because they're just not programmed they're not as old um, but I don't know why adults sometimes diminish um, what they have to contribute especially in the world that you all are inheriting, which yeah. we know is something you all care about because you want there to be a world and you want there to be a world for your kids. And if you choose not to have kids, your life will be easier. No, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, I'm just really happy to be here and thanks for having me. And you've had friends of mine, uh, Jeff Garland, who I love so much from the Goldbergs and uh, which is a Jewish show. I don't know why you would think so with the name and Curb Your Enthusiasm, which is a Jewish, show is squared and um and also um uh phil rosenthal uh who uh, did everybody loves raymond exec produced it and he's a dear friend i had lunch with him yesterday and he was so excited i was talking to you and everybody so as you would have seen earlier we're all about acts of kindness here at jlgb and we always ask our guests what they've been doing to help others so is there a particular act of kindness you've been doing to help others during the pandemic i try to um 
I, I have a thing where I, um, I try to treat people really well anyway. I was raised that way by my parents and my dad was an incredibly kind guy. And, and so I'll just give a quick example. I hope I don't talk too long because I want to take questions and I'm not going anywhere. If, I hope you guys have nowhere to go because I'm really lonely and, um, but, and my wife's busy and my kids aren't here. But um, my dad, I was at the hospital visiting my uncle years ago. I was in my early 20s and um, there was a lady in an elevator and it was Cedar sinai and, and she was a, a, a lady, of, she was Jewish a lot of Jewish customers at this hospital and uh, she was crying and my dad looked at her and it wasn't done in a strange way. He just looked at her and said, has anyone told you that you look lovely today? Now I, his son was standing next to him. So if, if you hear that today from someone, someone go, well, that's creepy. Who's that creepy guy in the elevator? But it wasn't said like that. He said it. And this is from a man who had lost, my parents lost four children. So I'm the only survivor of my family. So he was coming from a place of seeing someone hurting and wanted to ease their pain. And she looked at him like she was looking at an angel. And she said, Thank you so much. But it was basically saying, I'm sorry for what you're going through without those words. Yeah. And so that can be done with just behavior. That can be done just by saying, well, let me get that for you. But then you have a mask on and <laughs> keep it a distance. I'll, I'll get it for you, but move away. Um, and also consideration of, of the mask and consideration of people that deny the mask of, of okay, you have your right to think that, but stay away from me and, uh, and let's get rid of this disease. And I, I guess my most recent act of kindness that helped people was I'm a board member of the Scleroderma Research Foundation, and that's a disease hardening of the skin. And my sister had it and she lost her life to it. And we did a telethon, not a telethon, but we did a YouTube uh, benefit on Sunday Night Live on YouTube. And it's still up on the YouTube page, which is, um, well, you can get to it at srfcure.org. And I had so many friends and musicians and we raised $1.1 million for people affected. And John Mayer sang and Kelly Clarkson and Pat Monahan from Train and, and the comedians were Jeff Garland and, and Bill Burr, who, who I love so much. And I mean, we had 20 comedians, Jack Black and, um, and, and different, I mean, just um, Regina Hall, many, many people, John Stamos, he was on last because I, I can't look at him too long. He's just too good looking, but we raised a lot of money and, and it goes right to research. So that would, I would say would be my, um, my uh, Sadaka, my daughter one time on Halloween, which is, I don't really celebrate it because, uh, you know, we have Purim, Sukkot, and, you know, Purim is Halloween, right? Yeah. Right. So if I said Haman, everybody would, everybody would do that. <laughs> yeah. So, if, so anyway, uh, my daughter, my youngest one time went out with a Sadaka box to collect a charity during Halloween and she wasn't in costume and a lady in the neighborhood yelled at her, you're supposed to be celebrating Halloween. And it's like, that's the world, you know, yeah. you can't, you can't, uh, it's difficult. It's just a difficult world. So you guys, all the people watching this, you're the ones that can make a real difference and I'm doing what I can and will until I'm, I'm done and I'll never get off this Zoom. <laughs> 
So let's quickly go back to the very beginning, if I may, about your childhood growing up Jewish. Did you have any youth opportunities, like I have JLGB, that helped shape you? Did you go to a Jewish summer camp or get bar mitzvah? Did your Jewish family um, or identity help to shape your values to who you are today? I I was shaped by it, and it kind of held me together as a kid. Um, My fondest memories actually were were a Hebrew school where I got into a lot of trouble and I was just trying to make everybody laugh and I, I tortured some of my Hebrew teachers and they know that I'm sorry. I was a mischievous kid, but that was actually fun for me after school, especially because I was in Norfolk, Virginia where there weren't a lot of Jewish people. Yeah. So it felt good to be with people that were of my same faith and and we looked more like we were related, which is not saying that you, you know, the whole world should be united, you know, all human beings. But there's something about being with people that are fat. Before we started, and I'm just, shouldn't say this, Abby, but I was talking to your mom for a quick second as she flashed by. And I said, if you go back far enough, we're all related at some village in Russia where we're escaping, Um, like the end of Fiddler on the Roof, which I highly recommend you see the movie. And my kids were in, in one of the little shows of it. Um, anyway, it's nice when my daughter played Muttle the tailor. But I, um, yeah, bar mitzvah was hard for me because I lived in Norfolk, Virginia, but I got bar mitzvah in Philadelphia. So I had no friends at my bar mitzvah, just family, which was nice, but I missed my friends. So, and then I moved, so I moved a lot. So that was difficult. I didn't have the, the what I, I would assume a lot of you had that experience, which was to be able to have that. And there's something I do when I, I do a lot of benefits for the Jewish Federation and, and worldwide. I've done a lot of things affiliated with it. And I've been to Israel for the Ministry of Tourism. And, and, and I love when something like this, if you guys can answer, I don't know if you're all muted, but I always do this because everybody seems to answer. If I go, Boruch Hamborach. They are all muted, unfortunately. They're but muted, like, but they would all do the that, That's our code. That's our code to, uh, to, to be careful no one's anti-Semitic. But it, it is a, it's a fun thing when I do some benefit somewhere and I'm going to give a serious speech and I do that and like 3,000 people chanted <laughs> back to me when we're allowed, when we're over this pandemic. Yeah. Oh my, what a time. But uh, yeah, my roots have, have helped me a lot. Um, and I, I believe in any faith that helps people believe in goodness and kindness. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a, a lover of, of all goodness, but I, you know, Jewish roots are important. And uh, about five years ago, I had to dye them just in the crown. I had to dye my Jewish roots because I turned gray up. I have a gray yarmulke. So people go, oh, you dye your hair, right? I'm like, no, I don't. I don't dye any of this, but my Jewish roots right <laughs> here, it's literally a yarmulke of gray and I'm not gonna show it, but it's, but I have to have it um, tinted to be the color of the rest of my head. Cause I have hair, it's just like the soybean noodles. It's like clear noodles or whatever you call them. I have like a little low mane in the middle of my, uh, my, my cup. <laughs> So were you always drawn to arts and entertainment and where does your creative streak come from? And is it true that you were originally planning to be a doctor? Yeah. I'm sorry I woke him up. 
Hi, Louie. <laughs> Are you okay? I want to see Louie again. Oh, Louie. What's wrong, Louie? Are you, I don't want to bore you. Are you all right? Is Louie doing okay? I'm worried about Louie. Okay. Because when you go and you see on a Zoom and someone's like, <laughs> it's like, Louie didn't have enough sleep or he has a cold and he's on NyQuil. I get it. I hear you. But at least your clothes are drying behind you. Um, <laughs> uh, I was didn't think I'd be in show business. Yeah. And I, I was just talking about this yesterday. I was nine years old and I picked up an eight millimeter camera, which was film. Uh, and then I, at my 11, they had Super 8, which is that movie by J.J. Abrams was about what I used to do. And so I made 60 hours of kid movies, just garbage. I made one movie actually called Beach Blanket Blintzes. And it was about a 50 foot blintz that turned people into sour cream. I'm not kidding. I did that at uh, 16 years old. And people came to see it and 300 people and it bombed. It was the worst thing ever made. It got like King Kong on top of the Empire State Building and then it was shot down and the blimps dies. <laughs> and then um, I was doing comedy at 17. I started doing musical comedy and I won a radio contest in Philadelphia because I moved there when I was, I don't know when, <laughs> when I was uh, my senior year of high school. And then I had an affinity for show business. I, I didn't understand it. I went for six months, I went pre-med at Temple University and I couldn't take chemistry. I couldn't take biology. I was just, I, I just had no interest and I was dumb. I mean, for me, you know, iron is uh, FE. That's all I knew and potassium. I would remember K, K, that's potassium. That's, all, that's it, that's the chart. Um, and then I, I really did try for a couple months because I wanted to be a pediatric surgeon, oddly enough or wonderfully enough. And then I took some elective courses in the film department at Temple University in Philly. And, um, and I just loved it. And I went to film school and I actually won a student Academy Award for a documentary I made in the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences flew me to LA and I met Spielberg and on the same trip I met Woody Allen and all these people. And I, I got this award for a documentary I made about my nephew who actually had his face reconstructed. And um, it's an 11 minute documentary. Um, and he narrated it as a child because he had it done when he was six, seven years old. Serious documentary. And then I was also doing uh, sketch comedy and improv, like whose line kind of stuff um, at the Groundlings. In Los well, I also did the Groundlings, but before I got to Los Angeles, I was doing it in Philadelphia at the University of Pennsylvania. I was doing five things at once, none of them well. And then when I moved to LA, I went up at the comedy store. I know you have one in London, but this was the one that Richard Pryor was at. And there's a big documentary about a series that I'm in right now. Um, and it has everybody in it, Dave Chappelle and, and Bill Burr and Richard and, and all of the legendary comedians. And I went there and for eight years, I was like, I paid dues, you know, I, I hosted Eddie Murphy, worked out his movie Raw, his concert film. And I just knew everybody and um, lived through that and then did some sitcom parts and did a Richard Pryor movie and then got on some show on CBS and was fired. It was a national show in the States, but I was fired because they said I was too hot for morning TV. And then I landed a part on Full House. They fired a gentleman, which I wish hadn't happened, but I got the job to work with uh, John Stamos and Dave Coulier for 30 years. <laughs> and, 
And, um, and then I've been directing things for years also. I never stopped directing, directed like six movies. And um, one of them I'm very proud of, which was called Dirty Work. That was um, with Norm MacDonald and Arnie Lang and cameos was Chris Farley's last movie. Chevy Chase was in it, Adam Sandler, a lot of cameos. It was a, when we're planning on doing a sequel, Norm and I are, are gonna put it together. So it's been interesting. I never thought, I just saw evolve on the screen. I never thought I would evolve into someone who's just in show business. Yeah. So, I'm sorry the answer was so long. I want to talk okay. to people. I feel bad. Don't feel bad. But Jews, well, Jews can talk. Boy, can Jews talk. Yeah. <laughs> as much as I'd love to hog the whole conversation, uh, I probably shouldn't. So let's go to the first audience question um, from Carrie. Hi. Hi. Hi, um, just wanted to say before I ask my question that um, I don't know if you watched before I was telling my story about university and growing up with ADHD. Um, Full House and Fuller House. I literally clicked and got into it my first year, first or second year. I literally finished season eight, I think it was, season eight, as soon as Fuller House aired on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is such good coincidence. I can't believe this is happening. Um yeah, um, and I've it's absolutely amazing show. Um I'm glad to have this honor to meet you. That's I'm honored as well. Thank um, you. yeah, no, it got me some it got me through some difficult times, especially like when you struggle with ADHD. Um but my question is um uh, you briefly mentioned uh, a, a minute ago that um, you got the how you got the job. But how was the process like? How did you get um, the role of Danny Tanner? Well, interestingly enough, it was not he was not called. It was the Winchester family originally in the original pilot. But even the producer doesn't remember that. But I read the script <laughs> and they they changed it to Tanner. And another gentleman had the part and had shot the pilot with Dave and John. Yeah, I think I saw that they they actually released the entire episode. I'm really upset about that. I always think that's wrong to do. It seems very yeah. Tough. No, it takes away the magic, doesn't it? It's just rude, uh, and it's rude well, to much better anyway. Well, that's Trust sweet. Me. That's I was sweet. Like, I watched it. I was like, no, nah, you can't replace Bob Saget. Well, in retrospect, but he was a sweet guy, and I thought he did a good job. So I was like, why do they want to replace this guy? And and. And I have guilt because I'm Jewish, so I, I have it uh, about it. But I also was very fortunate because I've been fired from a show, as I was saying, on CBS. Um, mm -hmm. And I got this show and I was doing the other show, the CBS show at Disneyland in Los Angeles mm. from New York. They flew us. That's where the show was originally out of that morning show that I was on. Right. And then uh, I screen tested with Dave Coulier, who I'd known for 10 years. He slept love on my him. couch. Absolutely he's he's adorable. He's, he's a sweetheart. And so <laughs> fun, exactly, the moose and the, I never liked the woodchuck. I never, I, I, <laughs> I heard the dog chewed the original. Yeah, the dog ate the face. <laughs> Dave's on my podcast and it's a little bit, you know, it's, it's PG 17, but you guys are all fine. <laughs> but, but we talked yeah. about the things we used to do and, um, He's, he's a hilarious, wonderful guy. And then I became friends with John Stamos because we just started to do it. 
And we became like an extended family. We, we really, I mean, I'll get a text in the morning. All of a sudden it's from almost all of the cast. Hey, mm -hmm. want to do this thing for me? And absolutely, whatever you want, you know, Jody, you know. Yeah. You know, Jody is uh, Stephanie, but. Yeah. But then I, yeah, I don't think they should have put that pilot on the, um, on the DVD set. But sometimes, I don't know, people want to see behind the scenes. But yeah. I, I, I got the job and then the pilot was, ABC was excited about it and it didn't do well for a long time. We were on against mm -hmm. Seinfeld in the States and it, and it didn't do well. Um, and neither did Seinfeld at the time. It took us both about two years to find our, our mojo and to figure out what, what our shows were. And then they moved us uh, in, in America over to what's called TGIF. So it was, thank God it's Friday. And it was us at eight o'clock and then Family Matters step-by-step. Step. The Hogan's with Jason Bateman as a kid um, and sometimes Perfect Strangers, but those were the shows. And, um, and it was- All the um, shows last in the eighties and nineties. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. All the shows in the nineties. I just did an interview uh, that'll be on in the coming year for CNN. That'll be shown around the world about sitcoms, the history of sitcom. And I talked really about a lot I talked for hours, uh, as, which I can do, about Full House and about family sitcom and the value of it. And you're saying how it got you through a, a time. Mm. And a lot of people, I know a lot, I've met a lot of people that have said, because I was a single dad and I had lost my wife and that was John Stamos' sister in the show. And a lot of the show dealt with that. You know, it would come back, you know, I, I miss mom. And, and I talked to a lot of people uh, young ladies that came up and said, I lost my mom and my yeah. dad and I would watch this show together and it meant so much to us. And I'm a guy that always had like an edgy comedic bent. And here mm -hmm. I was playing a guy who hugged a lot and was a clean freak, which I kind of am now. I mean, this is my hand sanitizer. It's, it's industrial. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, I just wanted to be part of uh, like uh, the odd couple was Felix and Oscar. And mm -hmm. Felix was very neurotic. Everyone on sitcoms is Jewish, no matter what nationality or race, there's a mm -hmm. timing. Well, actually that's not true because uh, a lot of uh, Jewish shows now wish that they were of African descent. So they wanna, cause there's a timing in, in black comedy that is to me, uh, those are my favorite comedians are the comedians that I look up to was Richard Pryor and, and Eddie Murphy and Chris Rock and Dave Chappelle mm -hmm. is a dear friend. So um, I feel like I'm, I feel like now it used to be that uh, Jewish people were in the minority because the world, especially in the United States was quite different. You guys were way ahead of a curve on that, but still humanity has a long way to go. But anyway, and then Fuller House happened 20 years later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I jumped on that wagon as soon as it aired, like binged it in a day. Well, I'm glad it helped you. I'm <laughs> glad it made you. It's just a feel good show, I think. It is. And I cried in the finale. I'm not going to spoil anything in case people want to watch it, but oh my God. I did too. I actually, those, I really cried. I, I've become a sap. Here I am when I do stand up. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm an edgy person. Mm. Sounds like there's a train outside. <laughs> I think a train just went by. <laughs> I don't live anywhere near a train. But yeah, it, it, it's an emotional thing when you love people, even if the context is uh, family entertainment. Yeah.
Um, I hope that answered. Yeah, it did. Definitely did. Uh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. No worries. Yeah. Um. I don't know if you want to. No. I don't. Yeah, did you have something? <laughs> did you have something else you wanted to ask? <laughs> Is there anything else you wanted to know? Um. I mean, it depends. You want to go to the next person? Okay, sure. So, speaking of full house, it was uh, very nice talking to you, though. Thank yeah, you. No, it was lovely talking to you too. You too. All the best. So, speaking of full house, the next question is from Carrie's brother, Samuel. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Samuel. Are you in a room near Carrie? I'm across the hall. That's hilarious. <laughs> How are you? I'm pretty good. How are you? I'm okay. Is it infuriating, uh, the quarantine of it all? Yeah, and just schoolwork and everything. Well, if I can help, I have no literacy whatsoever. <laughs> I, I hope you'd be, a very, you'd be a very good help. Um, <laughs> but uh, my... We um, with that ex very very nice response that you gave earlier, you mentioned that um, well, Fuller House aired twenty years after the original show, and you the cast you became like an extended family. Mm -hmm. at, um, uh, what was it like to see, like, um. What was it like to go back and to reprise your role as Danny Turner after 20 long years? And what was it like to see your fellow uh, your fellow co-stars just grow up, especially like like the ones who played your children and just like how did that how did that feel to see? It was emotional. Um... I remember when I first went to the offices and they said, we're building the set, go take a look at it. And it was on the same set where we did the last four years of the series. We were on the uh, Sony lot, um, which is a huge, used to be MGM um, for the first four years. And then the second four years, we were at Warner Brothers. And on the same, after we left, friends came in. So they got the benefit of our amazing dressing rooms that they built because we were in success as Full House had stopped. And so they put us back on stage 24 where we did the last four years of the show for Fuller House. And when I first saw the set, I just, I, I started crying because it doesn't happen in your life. You know, it would be like going back to your school and spending six years there again. You know? yeah, I, I, it was it was strange because for Dave, John and myself, Lori, it was a play group. And we were with the kids and we, we all played. And then we had stories to tell, but there was a, a lot of love there. So it was really emotional. And I remember telling the uh, set designer, I asked the producer to please convey that they didn't leave enough space for people to walk when they walked off the set or up the stairs, there was nowhere to stand. There was a wall. And I went, guys, you got to build like a reservoir, like an extra hallway. That's my contribution to the, the reboot. But in truth, the entire cast never stopped talking to each other for 20 years. We saw each other once or twice a year 
at dinners. At, at, so we always saw each other. John had parties. I would invite everybody to dinner. I mean, it was we dear, dear friends forever. And I stayed close with Mary-Kate and Ashley. When I'm in New York, I, I, I see them as often as I can. And um, I just, I have a lot of love. You know, I guess that's why I was, without even knowing it, I was meant to play the, the part of a guy who just loves everybody and tries to glue the family together. Uh, not, not literally, because you shouldn't do that, because crazy glue can rip skin off. But it was, it was a pretty wonderful experience. And we came in, the older cast came in, they called us the legacy cast. So it was like, you know, being in a sci-fi movie, like where you're in the capsule for a thousand years and they open the decompression chamber and smoke comes out. That was us. It was like, hello, we're back this week. And so it was, a, it was really a wonderful experience and it's, it's loved worldwide, you know, and so is the reboot on Netflix. So it's a nice feeling. It's a nice feeling to contribute something nice that has some, even though it's a two-dimensional kind of life, they're not real characters like you would watch on some things. I mean, in many ways, Stranger Things is more real than, than Fuller House. <laughs> Just the heightened reality of what our show was. But the purity of loving your, your family, whatever that family is, um, however they're thrown together, that, that's the theme that's shown through. And that's what I'm really proud of. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, because obviously the show did have quite a positive effect on young people um, and like the uh, that sort of generation, like the 90s millennials sort of era, like, like my sister. Um, yeah. And it's just really nice to see like these old shows all coming back and just the nostalgia for so many people. Especially now, I think, you know, people have always wanted to go back to what they thought was a kinder, gentler time. And you'd watch television shows that took you back to a kinder, gentler time. But when you go back to the 50s and you see what the world was like, you know, whether it's a Cold War going on or different things, it, those shows were meant to gloss over the pain of the day then. And so a lot of shows were made like Happy Days 20 years after it, the time is set in the show. And that's why we see so many shows and movies and shows especially right now that are set in the 20s and 30s and, and, uh, or the future. A lot of things are not set in present day because 2020 is a year we, we just, we're going to be seeing a lot of product about it. You know, a lot of a lot of the arts are going to represent this 2020, 2021, incredibly difficult world time. But I think a lot of us need the escape, and uh, I'm I, I relish that myself. I watch a lot of shows that are either things that I loved in the past or, or great comedy things. I know Borat Two is out any minute, so uh, none of you should watch that. Apparently, <laughs> probably shouldn't plug it. But go back and watch all Monty Python because I worship Monty Python. And, and a lot of the stuff that was set on there uh, is about what's happening right now with politics and the world and the human condition. Yeah. Um, we've got a show that's recently been brought back from the 80s that's um, called Spitting Image. It might have of course. That. Yeah. We did it here in the US as well. We did an American version, but I watched the British version. And that's recently Great. come back. 
and it's just really funny to see like slapstick versions of of all these political figures and just taking the mickey out of them. Did do you, do you deal with our political figures as well? You have to, right? Um, I mean, one of the one of the figurehead uh, uh, puppets in the new show is Donald Trump, so he, he gets a lot of press. So and there's that, no uh, way not to in, not to deal. Had, yeah, we've had Nancy Pelosi as well. We've had a, a couple <laughs> others. <laughs> <laughs> We're quite a soap opera over here. But I know you guys have your you have your stuff as well. It's yeah. um, it's quite a time, quite a time in the world. And you guys, uh, no pressure, but you're the future of the planet. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure taken. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed talking to you. Thank you, Samuel. Thank you. Thank you very much. So, so we Me still too. have loads of questions, and we're now going to go to Mayan from Israel. Awesome. I know, right? Hi. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. What what city are you in? Uh, I'm from Ramatishai. It's in uh, Jezreel Valley, but I'm right now in the UK. Oh, I see. You're not yeah. in the other room. No, I'm not. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It'd be great if all of you were like in one house. Yeah. Just different rooms. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask... Um, I wanted to know how the cast felt like going back to film the TV show without the Olsen twins after so many years. Like it's a different like cast that's been there. Yeah. Um, well, we definitely um, always thought of and missed Ashley and Mary Kate, but I was always of the mindset that, you know, they didn't want to act anymore. And people that I love, people that I know, people that even ask me, if you don't want to do something, you, you shouldn't do it because your heart won't be in it. And the show did reach out quite a bit and ask them. And I saw them. I would see them in New York. And they said, I just, we don't want to, I don't, I had dinner with them separately. I mean, uh, and my daughters were, my daughter, my oldest daughter is nine months younger than Ashley and Mary Kate. So I have home videos of them at my house with little dresses with puppy sleeves. And That's so cute. I, yeah, really cute. And they didn't want to do it. And so I, I, what would I do with my own kids? Don't do it. You know, you follow your heart. And if you could, you know, if it's a financial thing, that's different. And, and that they're such, they're so amazing at what they do with their work, that's their love. And so um, I think if it had been done, maybe as a, I wanted to do the show, the reboot, nobody listened to me, as a movie that got incredibly real. I wanted to suddenly take off the artificial of what are you guys doing kind of attitude, you know? I wanted to make it really real. And, you know, they come home and Danny's drunk and they try to help him through it, you know? But you yeah. still do it in a way where everybody can see it. It's a PG movie still. And, and Warner Brothers and Netflix wanted to do it this way. And you don't say no to Netflix because they're the biggest company in the world for, for this. And it, it was beautiful that it happened. And so, you know, it was it was missed to not have the Michelle character, and it became a little more surfacey in general. But it also continued to be a, a departure from reality for people and take them back to that time. So when and and I was so impressed. Sorry, I'm Jewish. My nose is like a its own appendage. Um, but 
with Candace and Jody and Andrea to watch them become young women, which I, I knew them already, but as they're going to their 30s and hit 40 and and they become these amazing women that really had good comedy experience and just really good timing. And uh, they cut, they ran the show. They were just so good. I was really proud as a friend. And so, yeah, we, uh, I missed Mary Kate and Ashley, but personally, I would get to see them when it's the right timing for us. But real real friends, I'm sure that you'll find out all, all of you will find out as you get older, sometimes you don't see a friend for two years and then, which is kind of impossible to believe, but then when you see him, it's like you pick up a sentence that you finished the last time. It's, you already know that you're close. So there's no, um, there's no problem. That's amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Be well. Uh, Baruch Hashem. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> So the next question is from Louis, who, yeah. Hi, Bob. Yeah. Hi. How are you? How's it going? I'm all right. How are you? I'm good. So who are our grandparents? Who are our grandparents? We, we look related. I mean, you look like you, you know. We could, I've, got we could... blue, I've got some blue squares I can't get rid of. I've been trying to like dim my screen. That's the, you, the non-reflective glasses. That's yeah. the next step. Yeah, so. anyway. um, my question is, you've said you were heavily influenced by British comedy and described some of your inspirations as the likes of Benny Hill, Monty Python, Peter Sellers. What did you learn from these classic British comedians? And are there any uh, current British comedians or even Scottish comedians uh, that you're a fan of today? Yeah, for sure. Um, well, I love, uh, well, Craig Ferguson is a friend of mine. I was actually at his house two years ago and we're, we're dear friends. But as, as far as, um, I'm very close with, well, Jimmy Carr is a friend who I find very funny because we both do the same kind of irreverent stuff. He pushes the, well, I guess I push the envelope also. Um, I, I, I grew up, when I was on that show on CBS, I got to interview Benny Hill. So here I was. I'm uh, 28 years old and I'm spending two hours with Benny Hill and he just made me laugh, you know? And it was the kind of comedy that I, it was like silent movie comedy, a lot of that. And they would play that music and had that little old guy and he'd hit him and, and a lot of ladies and all that burlesque kind of vaudeville comedy that eventually found its way to America. I mean, all of our comedy is based from London, from, from England, from Scotland, you know, period. Uh, Monty Python is a huge influence for me. When I was in film school and I saw Holy Grail, I'd already been watching, um, and now for something completely different, I'd already been watching every Monty Python's Flying Circus. I started watching it when I was a teenager and I'm friends with Eric Idle. I mean, I get to be friends with, with Eric, who wrote Always Look on the Bright Side of Life from Life of Brian, um, which is a big recommendation. Um, and I have, I have an affinity for whoever the funniest people are because they're a gift. The funniest people are, are, are present, you know? Um, and so there's a lot of comedians that I look at today. I mean, I'm, I'm a fan of uh, Ricky Gervais and, and I'm a fan of, of Stephen Merchant and all the people that come out of of that office time when all the original shows came from London. 
and then were spun off in America. Um, all in the Family, one of the biggest shows of all time by Norman Lear was out of London. It was it was a, it was a takeoff of another, a brilliant uh, London sitcom and. Sanford and Son was a big show that was tiptoe and son in London. Comedy's roots are, are British. And when you look at Harvard, they had the Harvard Lampoon. And a lot of those writers became part of Saturday Night Live. But at the same time, Oxford had its comedy lampoon. I believe it's the Oxford Lampoon. I don't know. Does anyone know? But that's the super smart group that would do a parody and a send up. And then Monty Python, I was talking with Eric once and I went, so you're all uh, attorneys, right? He says, what are you talking about? I shouldn't do the accent, sorry, I'm not good at it. He said, no. And he regarded all of Monty Python as just a bunch of, you know, he was self-effacing, you know, he was saying what buffoons, but I mean, I worshiped every one of them. And Peter Sellers is a reason that anybody wanted to do comedy, if you ever, all of you have a chance to see Dr. Strangelove or, um, I mean, the, his work, all the Pink Panther movies, obviously, but the early work, um, I believe it was called The Goon Show um, and uh, Peter Cook and Dudley Moore, uh, they were all of the same. Great comedy minds often form in clusters and come up at the same time. So yeah, British comedy uh, influenced me uh, beyond. Um, so many people I'm drawing a blank on. Um, uh, 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 Billy Connolly, right? Is that correct? Yep. Yeah, yeah. help me as yeah. much as you can. Help me more. B Billy's, uh, I mean, he's brilliant. Um, Eddie, Eddie uh, Izzard is, um, is just, uh, it's breathtaking what, how his mind works. Uh, I've always Kevin Bridges as well, who's one of the current Scotch comedians. Yeah, I've, I've, I've looked at a bunch of his stuff. Um, yeah, he's great. He's great. Who else? Tell me more. Mike uh, Myers does a great Scottish accent. Mike Myers, yeah. The, that was Mike Myers you were saying, right? Not Mike Myers in Halloween, the movie Halloween. That's a different Mike Myers. I believe it's Halloween, isn't it? Michael Myers, he was the guy, he's kind of the Jason Friday the 13th in the movie Halloween. I think it's the Mike Myers from uh, Austin Powers and- Yeah, Star yeah, that, I'm well aware. I was just saying there's also a murderer in horror movies named Michael Myers, I believe. But Mike Myers, yeah, he came Wayne's World and he was from Saturday Night Live and obviously hugely influenced by Peter Sellers um, and so talented. Thanks very much. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Are you a comedy person? Are you going to want to do comedy writing? Are you a, no, you're a writer? I'm not, I'm not funny at all. I think I'm you might be. I'm an engineer. I do maths. So you're, you're, you're an engineer. You're going to be an engineer. I'm, I am an engineer. Yeah. Oh, you're an engineer. What, what railroad? Uh, this is industrial. This is manufacturing. No, I know. I know. I'm, I'm, my puns are not good. I'm not up to oh, Sorry. It's, it's the humor. Sorry. It's, no, it's no. Humor. No, it would be the same humor. I would get no response in any language. Trust me. But um, engineering is, is a wonderful thing. So you can save the world. Do something. Help us with environmental issues, right? That's the plan. Remove the plastic. Thank you. I'm converting right now. Not from Judaism. That's good. All, the, all, all the best. Thank you. Thank you very much. Take care. <laughs>
You too. Okay. Thank you. Our Ruth. next question is from Gaia. Hi. Hi, Gaia. Um, first of all, I just wanted to say I'm a really big fan of you and Full House and Fuller House. Oh. I've watched it over 19 times over. Oh my God. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> um, my question is, is, is it true that your new wife um, let you take one day, like one night off of your honeymoon to um, perform in the West End? And what's the difference about performing in a British, in front of a British audience? And did you have to change your material for a British audience? It's interesting. I tried not to change it, but I did because here was my very first time performing in London and I always wanted to. And, um, and the Leicester Square Theater is just this beautiful small space that's just, and the audience was so wonderful. Um, and it was the very start of our honeymoon. Um, and it was just because we're going to be in London. Honey, can I just perform one night? And, uh, and yes. And it was a sold out show. And there was one piece of material that I did that I think I, and I won't even talk about what it was, but I did cross some boundaries that I wasn't aware were sensitive and they're sensitive everywhere now. And it was, you know, comedians sometimes try to do something that goes against, you know, the edge, you know, that really it's, oh my God, I can't believe they said that. You know, you just watch a lot of comedians. You're like, what was that? And I did one of those and I, and I heard from someone, I'm not sure if it was a review, might've been a review. And it was, uh, it was a really nice review, except for this one moment that they mentioned and they were right. And um, cause I defer to, I, I've always looked up to uh, British people. I just always have. Um, and, and I have a bunch of friends and whatever. And I took it out of any repertoire material right away. It was like, um, I'm always open to learning and and improving something because we're in a cancel culture right now. So you can't, you know, the far left is stopping you from saying stuff and the far right, well, we know where they are, but um, I guess we need the extremes to somehow arrive to the middle, but we're not in a peaceful place with it right now, especially over in, in the United States. But but yeah, I, I just loved the show so much. It, and my wife knew it would make the honeymoon all that much sweeter. And so after performing in the West End, it was a time when I know people still, even though there's a curfew, still go out right now. And that's dangerous with, without masks because I'm a believer in the mask until we get this thing under control. But we went out and just hung out. I, I mean, I love it. And I've had some of my best times. I took all three of my daughters once. I was divorced for 23 years before I got married again. And, um, and it was the last time I had been in uh, London was with my uh, three daughters. And we spent a week there when they were younger. And it was, I just remember I was in Hyde Park and uh, all of a sudden it started hailing in the middle of the day. I'm like, what, what is this? We don't have this. Yeah, sounds about right. <laughs> right. So we, we hid underneath a bus stop <clears throat> and waited for a cab. But it was, it was so, I just love it. First thing I did when I, went back uh, with my wife, <clears throat> excuse me, I've got to drink some uh, water. You know, I don't know why my throat's, oh, I took a Claritin. Jewish people get up with uh, allergies, you know, that's, that's it, it's in the Bible, I believe. 
but uh, I took her right to the Peter Pan statue in Hyde Park, which of course is in the movie Hook when Robin Williams uh, sees the statue. This takes, I don't remember, but it's in there. Anyway, uh, yeah, it was, it was beautiful performing there. I can't wait to come back. And you'll all be a little older, so you'll be able to get in. And I'll be a little less dirty, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You're very sweet. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Um, the next question is from my own sister. <clears throat> in the other room? No, she's actually like halfway across the country at university. Otherwise awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Hiya. Nice to see you, and nice to see you, Abby. Um, so my <laughs> is... And, and Abby, it's nice to see you. Bob, hi. It's so good to see you. Um, so like, my what, question what, is... What university? Where, where, what part, where are you, Hannah? Um, I'm up in Nottingham at the moment. Oh, that's right. I heard that before we started. Not So are there Robin Hood things? Are there monuments for the there sheriff? Are. They also have like a town crier who like dresses up and does the whole Robin Hood thing. It's a bit weird, but it's part of it. That's hilarious. There's a yeah. lot of town criers here. People are just in the street crying. Is you, yeah, fair enough. There's no answer, sorry. <laughs> I don't blame you. Um, right. So my question is about your um, new podcast. So was it something that had been in the pipeline for a long time or was it something that you were inspired to start over lockdown? It was not uh, because of lockdown. I, I had, uh, in 2019, I was on tour and I was hitting it pretty hard and was ready to do a new special. And um, I was working everywhere, a lot of theaters going all over the place. And I just felt in America, a lot of tension in the room. And a lot of, I would tour the South and I felt, and I get a very diverse audience. I get younger people that would know me from those shows and I get older people or from entourage, you know, a lot of single guys that are, you know, think that's what I'm like. And um, just from stand up and from all the different stuff I've done. So the audience is very diverse and racially very diverse. And I had people arguing with each other in the audience. And I would, it, it, it many shows and I would get control of it because I, I like to work the room. Uh, I, I do it not unlike Jimmy Carr does it in that kind of style, but then I do material uh, not unlike Jimmy in some ways. And um, so I, I just wanted to do this. It just came out of me before this. We felt in the United States and I think it had a lot to do with our leaders. A lot of it. We were separated. And, and some people were waiting for the separation, were happy with it. And a lot of people were going, What's, why are we being separated? And why are we disenfranchised? And why are we profiled? And all those things. So I started, I, I made a deal in 2019 to do it. So that's pre-quarantine, pre, hey, there's a disease called COVID. Coronavirus comes from, we don't know anything. So I was getting ready to go in January. And then in February, I started recording it in studio. I did two episodes in studio. And then um, then they put lockdown happen. And I had to cancel going to Canada. And, and Canada, Canada was mad at me. The country was mad because I was supposed to go. But I was supposed to go to Vancouver first and then go to Calgary and then you just keep touring. But then they said, you, you ha you, we think you should not go. And 
And Vancouver at first was upset, but then the next day they shut everything down. And Calgary, I would have been stuck in Canada for weeks to get back to the US because of quarantine and all the gigs shut down. So I had started, they brought the podcast board to my home. It's behind me in another room. And I record out of there on Zoom with some wonderful guests from all over the world, uh, people that I adore. And I just had Hamish and Andy on who are very popular in Australia. They're the number one comedy podcast uh, gentleman, uh, fun gentleman in, in uh, Oz. So I, um, I just started doing it. And it was something that allowed me to communicate with people and try to make people's life a little bit better, you know? And, and do my naughty sense of humor sometimes and other times not, you know, it, it, I'm a chameleon when it comes to that. But yeah, I started that before, before the lockdown, but, it, but the timing was very surreal because a couple weeks later, everybody was in all this pain. Mm. No, it's nice to see that people sort of have still been able to follow things through even with the massively changing circumstances at the moment. Yeah, yeah. And a few television shows are up and running and I know a few of yours are up and running. I guess like The Voice is back, I would think there, or I don't know, do you, or America's Got Talent? You don't have America's Got Talent. <laughs> America does not have talent. Um, is there is there a, a British version of that show? Yeah. yeah, Britain's Got Talent. I think it came first actually. Of but course yeah, that, it did. That was back and socially distanced, yeah. And, and Simon Cowell and Tom, Sir Tom Jones, what show are they on? Um, I think they're on different ones. I think Simon Cowell does the Britain's Got Talent and then Sir Tom does, um, he does the voice. I haven't seen that recently. There you go. Yeah, everything we have came comes from you guys. It happens quite often. And not only that, but if you look at all of television in general and all the streaming services, I will go to a show if it's a British show at this point. So I'm sure you're seeing it all. So you go, wait a minute. Everybody on Netflix now is, it's, it's a lot of British actors and actresses. And it's, it's, it's quite refreshing. And the level of acting is um, it's exceptional because that's where acting came from. So thank you. Hope everything goes well in college. Are you able to go to classes or is it all done Zooming kind of thing? Um, at the moment, it's all online, but hoping to get some real things happening soon, but I'm not sure. Depends what right. Yeah, we need a vaccine. Uh, we need one. And people need to take it. <laughs> people in America, well, some people won't take it because they don't believe in science. Yeah. Meanwhile, the people that don't believe in science, their favorite movies are the Avengers and the Matrix and Star Wars movies. So that's science. I mean, take the shot. Anyway. Difficult to make, yeah. I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand it either. No. Well, thank you and all, all the best. And uh, I hope you get back to classes when when it's safe. And thank you. you. Get to be, be with people, get to be with people again. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question is from Sydney. And we still have loads more questions, by the way. I'll, go, I'll answer shorter. Hi. Hi. Um, so as if the pandemic wasn't enough, there seems to be a lot going on in America right now. The tragic death of George Floyd, forest fires, flooding, and of course you have a big controversial presidential election coming up. 
Mm-hmm. For generations, you've been known as America's dad. So, Bob, can you tell us what the hell is going on? Yeah, yeah. People are people don't know how to um, have a discourse. They don't know how to have opposing opinions right now in this country and be able to discuss them and and be able to go. No, this is. Don't you see that if we do this? then these radical groups will take over. And then the other side goes up, but these radical groups will take over. And a lot of it is, um, it fuels itself. Like the radical groups wouldn't have the press, wouldn't have the acknowledgement if the press didn't give it to them. So the world that we're in is so, you're aware of everything we're going through because of what's happened with communication. I mean, it's it's pretty, uh, the internet, you know, it's, it's, it's gonna be much more in the years to come but it's, it doesn't help us, it doesn't serve us. Um, but um, did I lose her? Is she still there? No, I'm here, I'm here. Oh, okay, good, sorry. But <laughs> I, was just, I was just gonna say that, you know, we have a debate tonight, our, our last and final debate, because the second one got canceled because of hissy fits. So uh, this one is gonna happen and my wife and I are gonna watch it. And it's just very painful and very difficult and even when elect, the election is over here, no matter what happens, there's a lot of unrest. And so Danny Tanner would, you can't get people to hug in a pandemic unless they've just gotten tested and then they have masks on, then they can hug. So Danny Tanner would of course have everybody wearing masks and sanitizing, uh, which a lot of people don't wanna do, <laughs> which is insane. And then he would also try to put out love and. I guess maybe the answer would be we need like a court jester like Joey Gladstone to talk to our world leaders. I would love to watch the uh, the presidential debate tonight and all of a sudden Dave Coulier pops in and does Bullwinkle impressions. I mean, we could sure use an outlet because you go to Instagram, you go to TikTok, you go to YouTube, uh, you go to Twitter and you get your parodies of everything and it kind of takes you out of it. That's where social media can help you where the parody, where the chat shows will have people on and make fun of it and gives you an opportunity to laugh at it all. Um, yeah, you wanna be careful not to cut the someone in the bathroom. Um, okay, uh, but <laughs> someone just blocked my screen. But um, yeah, I, I just think that Elvis Costello, who I love so much had a song, you know, what's so funny about peace, love and understanding because we're in such a cynical time and such an angry time and peace, love, and understanding. You know, if John Lennon was alive and, and the Beatles were singing All You Need Is Love, these days people go, yeah, right. You know, don't take my gun, you know. It's just, uh, it's, we need it. We need it and you guys are, are the people, you know, my kids and their kids because humankind's not going anywhere. We, we can make sure of that, but we, we have to move the needle forward. It's, it's really messed up. So thank, thank you, you for the question. I'm trying. Thanks. So the next question is from Emma. Hi. Hi, Emma. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Really good. Thanks. Good. So um, how did you get to play the role and play the voice of future Ted Mosby in How I Met Your Mother? Was it just a voiceover? Or were you actually on set with the cast? And were you disappointed to not be in the last episode? That says, I, I have all the answers already. Um, it was 
Really interesting. And actually, if you, uh, on my podcast, I, I had a conversation with Josh Radner and we talked about this because we're friends. I was doing a play in New York called Privilege about um, a corrupt uh, white collar businessman who was about to go to jail. And uh, it was written by um, uh, Paul Weitz who wrote uh, the movie version of About a Boy and um, he's a really talented writer. And, and director. And so I did this play, I get a phone call from someone, the mother of one of my kids' friends uh, who I knew from school, Pam Fryman, and she is a great director and she's one of the exec producers of this new show that was gonna be made called How I Met Your Mother. And she called me and said, okay, we have a new show and this guy, Josh Radner is in it. And it's about these, guys, these people trying to make their way through their late 20s and 30s and I think that you'd be right. And so do the producers, uh, 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 Craig and, um, oh God, heaven help me. I, I'm looking at his face, he's yelling at me. And Carter, uh, he, he was yelling at me in my, hair, in my head. Uh, Craig and Carter are so brilliant. They wrote the whole series. And I'll talk about the last episode also because of their choice. Um, and she said, we'd like you to be the older Ted Mosby. I said, why can't? Does actor Josh Radner do that? She said, we just see him having a more mature voice. And he said, so cigarettes and alcohol, is that what you think he needs to get in order to have 20 years of deeper voice? She said, well, also you have that fatherly voice and you're, you're a known voice and you're welcome. People recognize your voice and um, you're talking to your kids in the future. So, well, let me read it. And I read it and I fell in love with it. It felt like a love letter to relationships and unrequited love and someone always looking for love. And I always love those romantic comedies. You know, you've got mail and I mean, any of them. I mean, I could turn on love actually and just watch it all day. You know, that's my go-to if I'm hurting and it's on, I'm like, oh good. I get to see Liam Neeson's son playing the drums but he's not really playing. I can't wait to see that cutaway. So I did the, uh, I did the pilot. I went into a recording studio in New York and did it and then they said, we'd love you to do it. And then I went to 20th Century Fox every week. I would read the script. I would watch the episode, a rough cut. It wasn't the final cut. And I would be, I'd go on set and visit everybody. I knew Allison Hannigan because she used to be my babysitter when she was 16 for my daughters. I knew Neil Patrick Harris because he was on Doogie Howser when I was on Full House. So we would meet each other when he was 10 at the ABC conferences, the network that made us. And, um, and the other people I had mutual friends with, you know, Jason and Kobe. And it was just really a, a, a weird meant to be kind of thing. And I, I and um, so I would really spend time on it. It would be like six hours on the soundstage where they would do, you know, major movies and television shows, ADR they call it, but it's the looping where they, they would, or narration for things. And I would watch it and you'd hear the three beeps, but I had to be Ted because I wanted to be in the momentum of the show. So I had the vibe of the actors. So I would listen to Ted talking and he would say, and, and Josh would say something live and he would go like, you know, I don't know what to do. And then you go to my voice. And then I realized, you know, so I took his cadence. I would take, you know, I was really in it in, in my mind. And then one, there were days where 
where the beginning of the script uh, started off with the narrator. And it says, you know, kids, I'm going to start. And so I decided, they said, hey, Bob, they're going to do the table reading on stage. I'm, oh, yeah, I'll go over there. So I snuck under the bleachers. And then they were going to have the director read the narration. And I just snuck into the chair and just started reading. And everybody was like, oh, and they applauded and said, now please leave. Um, but I, I had a real closeness and love for the show. And as for the last episode, when I talked to Josh about this, we talked about it uh, on my podcast just a couple of weeks ago. Um, it was really, um, you know, some people took uh, issue with how they did the last episode. But I look at it as, you know, I've had a really bittersweet life. I had a lot of loss in my life. And you look at a show like Full House, it's, you know, uh, Danny Tanner had no wife. Um, she passed away. So things happen. And the show, one of its trademarks that people loved so much is every episode was tied up in a bow. You know, it was a romantic comedy. Um, and so this, I wish it would have been a longer episode, the last episode, but I loved, and I, I knew that Josh was going to narrate the last episode. And I knew what it was going to be. And I went, wow. I was kind of blown away by it, to be honest with you. But I think so many people expected comedy and romance to prevail that they were just so sad and disappointed. But the ending of any show, you look how Seinfeld ended, you look at a lot of shows that have a closure episode. It's not often, you don't, you don't always have a, it's, it doesn't feel right a lot of times, that last episode. But this one, Craig and Carter are artists, they're writers. And so they wanted to end it the way they wanted to. And I, I think that's remarkable. But if you get the DVD set of How I Met Your Mother, they have the episode, the last episode with me narrating it. So you do get to hear me say on the very last episode, and that kiss is the story of How I Met Your Mother for the last time. But Josh and I were very close, not very close, but we went out to dinner a few times and I saw him in a play in New York and we really liked each other. And, and it really helped. It helped me uh, not feel like it was weird that he didn't do it. I asked him, did you wish you would have done the narration? He said, I would have liked the money. <laughs> but then we were out to dinner and we were both single for a long time. And uh, he, um, he was, there was a young lady that came over that was 10 years older than him and 10 years younger than me. And she was talking to both of us. And I said, which version of Ted Mosby do you like better? The younger one or the older one? That was uh, my big joke. And she walked away, which most people do when I talk. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, it does. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. So we have a question from Bradley. Hi. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. Yeah. Are you okay? Uh, quarantine getting to you? Are you all right? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I think I'm okay too. I talk about my wife a lot, but I didn't show her. This is this is my wife. She <laughs> she's got a belly ring, so she's very progressive. Um. So thankfully, um, whilst in lockdown, we've had Netflix, Amazon, and other streaming services. What have you been been binge watching during lockdown what shows would you recommend i hear you're a big fan of ted lasso which of course is based on an english soccer team i love ted lasso so much 
it is one of my favorite things I've ever seen at this moment because it's one of the few things that's positive that's being put out that's positive in a really smart way. And Jason Sudeikis is just so good. Um, he's, he's just remarkable. And that cast is, they're amazing. And for him to be a fish out of water and to be in a place and to have a positive cheerleader attitude and to pull them through it is just really, I just find it to be a beautifully done show. So I recommend that really highly to everybody. And then I watched, you know, Euphoria, and that's a whole different thing that takes me to a, a darker place. And then on Apple, I was also watching Brave New World, which I like quite a lot, it, although it's pretty upsetting um, and also takes you to what would our what could our future get to be something like that? There's a lot of sci-fi shows that take you to a place of how do we get through this and we don't wanna become that. And that's what a lot of science fiction does is the human condition continues to be a battle everywhere. Um, lighter shows like Schitt's Creek is something that I we did all six years as quickly as possible. Like uh, some people were saying earlier to watch all of Fuller House in, in a quick binge. But that show really was a love letter also to, to people. Um, but there's, there's, there's a lot of shows I've been watching. I've been watching... Um, Oh God, what's it called? I'm gonna look it up because I keep forgetting the name of it. I don't know why, it's a brilliant show. Do you have HBO Max there? Uh, I don't think we do, no. You don't, but I'm sure you get this show. You have to get it. It's, um, I mean, it's all over the world. It's um, a Lovecraft Country. Are you familiar with that? When you see it, when it comes out, I mean, it's 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 brought to you, it's made by uh, both Jordan Peele who did Get Out, uh, and also J.J. Uh, Abrams, who's done a great deal of the great stuff, and it's it's their exec producers of this show, and it's quite amazing. It's it I won't even talk about it, but um, it's it's upsetting and it's poignant, and it deals with racial injustice and magic and mysticism in in the twenties in the United States. Um, I've been watching so many British shows. I mean, uh, um, right now we're watching, um, uh, it's on Apple TV also. Uh, it's, it's an Israeli show. Um, uh, um, oh, come on, Bob, you can do this. It's, um, it's uh, someone told me the name of it. <laughs> it's Tehran. Uh, I think that's the name of it. Is that the name of it? Does anybody know? It's Apple TV. Is anybody there? Can you hear me? I've had no audio right now from anybody. We can hear you, everyone's muted. Oh, maybe let them all talk. I don't know, <laughs> I'm, I'm really lonely. Um, let me see, Apple TV, because uh, I'm just doing, you know. It's, it's um, it must be Tehran. Um, I watched the, do, do you have Apple TV there? You must have it, right? Yeah. Okay. It's a stupid question. I, I ask really dumb questions. Okay. It's, it's, um, here we go. Oh, they've got a new Bruce Springsteen thing. Yeah, it's a Tehran. And um, it's really good. It's done by the people that did Fauda. So, uh, and it, it stars her. 
but it's not the same actress as Ex Machina and Laura Croft, but she looks like her. But it's a really, really powerful show. And it deals with um, the Mossad and it has a feeling at end of the Tehran. It's, you know, it has a feeling like, um, like, uh, <laughs> I don't know why. What's the most famous uh, with, with um, it's a great interview. Boy, I really got good at this point. It's with um, My So-Called Life. She starred in that. Um, you starred in My So-Called Life. You love her, you all love her. She played Carrie on the CIA show, the big CIA show, Homeland. Did you, you watched Homeland, right? I haven't personally watched it. It's on my list, but I haven't watched but it. You know, but you know, but of course you have it. And I think it's based on an Israeli show. I'm pretty sure. Um, but it's, it's a remarkable show. That's one of the first things we watched also, because it was about insanity. We, we'd watch the news, get so upset, and then watch a show that was more upsetting to calm down, but I've been doing. Yeah. This is the one moment in, in our Zoom where my brain went blank. <laughs> I apologize. I'm back now. Okay, we have our last audience question from Greg. Oh, awesome. Hi, Bob. Hi, Greg. How's it going? It's going really good. Thank you. Thank you very good. much for uh, your, your interview. I'm honored to have the last question. Neutral. Um, and uh, before I go on to that, I'll say uh, I really resonated with your, your comment right at the start where you said everyone's got a podcast. Um, yeah. I actually um, launched my podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago. It's got what's, like 20 views. What's so, the name of it? It's called SNL Rapid Review. I, I do a, a review of SNL episodes. Oh, that's fantastic. My friend Bill Burr hosted uh, recently. Did you watch it? Yeah, it was a really good episode. It was a, one of the best they've had in a very long time. Don't you yeah, agree? I gave it a very good review. <laughs> he's, a, he's a dear friend. And um, we talked about it at length. In fact, a week later, we went out and smoked cigars. And, uh, and he was saying, oh, I didn't get to do this. And he's, he's, a, he's an important voice. And I know he played Royal Albert Hall. And my friend Mike Binder uh, directed his uh, special that was shot there for Netflix. Bill is just, and the sketches he did are so poignant. They're like Saturday Night Live used to be when there was social commentary and irony and people don't, don't understand what parody and satire is, but he, he did it at a very high level. I, I, I love him a great deal. He would be upset if I said that. He would, he would just make fun of me. Um, so anyway, I was going to ask you about, you know, you come from a very long, a long line of Three minutes oh, sorry. Oh, someone else's Zoom is, someone's got their Zoom. Someone needs to mute. That always happens. Oh, I have to tell you, I, I want to hear your question. We're going to, let's, let's see Greg on screen, um, if we could. There we go. I, I was, uh, just because of what just happened on the Zoom, Ray Romano did a thing for my benefit and he has a piece of material. And he said that what people don't know is that whatever sound you make, that other people hear it. And he, he said he was on a Zoom and he farted. And then he said, and then he did it again because he figured I'm on Zoom, no one can hear me. And then his friend said, no, what, when your box lights up, it means people are listening to you. And he went, oh my God, and they recorded the Zoom. So uh, that's kind of the sound we heard it was not a fart, but it was just some background uh, audio. Please, Greg, continue, I'm sorry. Um, 
so you come from a long line of, of Jewish comedians. Um, so I'm thinking, uh, you know, Jeff Garland, as you mentioned, Jeffrey Ross, uh, Seinfeld, uh, Gilbert Gottfried, Mel Brooks, uh, Carl Rayner, Don Rickles, Jerry Lewis. So the list goes on and on. And um, I'm just wondering, what, what do you think it is that draws Jews to comedy? What, what is that connection? And um, do you have any advice for aspiring Jewish uh, comics? Absolutely. Um, my friend Rodney Dangerfield, who was a very well-known comedian, had a couple of big movies. Back to School is the one that I recommend to you guys. Really funny movie. And he, he used to say that a, a Jewish person is always running. It's like in World War II, you're running from the border guard. But if you can make the guard in Nazi Germany laugh for six minutes, they'll let you pass. That's how, that was his metaphor. But there is a survival thing about it. And there is something about being an outsider. That's why you find so many great comedians are outsiders, uh, whether they be Jewish or of African descent or just a different way of, or just were different and lonely or went through hell. I don't know many comedians, no matter where they're from, that didn't go through some kind of hell. And if they didn't, then in their later years, it ends up catching up with them. But you look at someone like George Carlin, who if you look at any of his stuff, um, it, it hasn't changed. The world hasn't changed from the 60s when he was, you know, from Lenny Bruce when he first doing his, started doing counterculture stuff and talking about the man and how everybody is, you know, being faked out and, and lied to. That's an outsider. And that's not just a rebel for the sake of being a rebel. It's a person who's, who came up the hard way. Richard Pryor, I got to be friends with him. He was raised in a brothel in Peoria, in Ohio. And he had a very tough life. He was, you know, hung out with mobster types and, and he had drug problems. And he was one of the funniest people that will ever live. And then, I mean, you just look, go through the litany of, of comedians. They might look like they don't have an issue because they might be like, oh, they're buttoned down and they're cleaning up for television. But the really, really funny people, all the ones I've ever met are, are an outsider. And, and there's a lot of Jewish comedy. It's, it just is that way. And it, it came from, I think it came from having to move a lot. I mean, I moved a lot because my dad was in a supermarket business and I had to move to different cities in the United States. But when you look at the heritage where all of our ancestors were picking up and running away not to be executed, that'll create a, a strong person and someone who feels alone. And, um, and I would find myself, I knew I was funny at four. Other people may not know even now that I'm funny. But I've talked to a lot of comedians and a lot of them knew when they were really young. And I came up with Jerry Seinfeld. I mean, we, were, we met at 22, 23 years old and uh, we had two totally different styles of comedy and yet it's the same thing. It's you, 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 you can't help but do it. You can't help but take something and, and maybe take people out of the moment for a second and analyze something that just happened, you know, and it brings people into the moment, you know, and that's what I love 
about stand-up and about all, all comedy. I mean, when you watch a great comedy, and there are some really, really great comedies, you th you're appreciative of them. They're just, uh, you know, there's something really special. There's something about what you can, and if it's a heartfelt comedy, if, if it's a movie, for example, um, when 9-11 happened, um, I remember I was watching television and I, I know it was on television all through Europe. It was every, the whole world, right? So uh, that night, all the all four networks, all, all day, the 24 hours of that footage and 6.30 in the morning, and that's all anybody was watching. And I remember Fox Television, not the news network, but television, instead of running that footage, they ran Mrs. Doubtfire. And a lot of people I've talked to went, I watched Mrs. Doubtfire too that night. And that was in the US that Fox, and I knew the, the head of it at the time, I thanked him for it because he ran Mrs. Doubtfire, which is about a man that loves his kids, Robin, beautiful Robin, loved his kids so much that he dressed up as a woman to uh, get his, be able to see his kids. And it was comedy oriented, but it had heart to it because, uh, and that was in the hardest of times in the worst of conditions. That's why you look at Life is Beautiful, that, that amazing movie about the Holocaust. That was a comedy for the first half of the movie and how to get the, the little boy to not, not see the horror and make it as though it's a, a, a story so he, he doesn't have to go there emotionally with the horror of it. So <laughs> I hate to equate comedy to horror, but uh, it sure gets me through it. And my dad always had a gallows sense of humor. You know, whenever someone passed away, my dad would be the person that would make a joke, even his own daughter. Um, and someone came up to him at the Shiva and, uh, and Shiva in English means delicatessen because that's, they bring the meats right in. But I'm standing next to my dad and somebody came over and said, oh my God, we've lost her. I don't know what we're gonna do. I don't know how I'm gonna get through it. And my dad's like, oh, I know how you feel. You know, it's, yeah, oh yeah, it's, I'm really sorry for you. And it's his child. So there was something about that sarcasm um, and not in a mean way, but it's something that it can help you survive. I think comedy can help you survive. So that's why I, I treasure Stand-ups and a lot of Jewish stand-ups look at what they've done, what they've contributed, Woody Allen. And I mean, it just goes on and on. Neil Simon as a writer and Mel Brooks and Carl Reiner um, and what they did, what they contributed. It's monumental, you know, to the world because all of the movies, what you probably all seen it and didn't even know you've seen some of them and you would watch it. That's funny. And, and, and you know, there's, you know, some movies like Airplane were just so silly, but they went everywhere in every Monty Python movie. I mean, I, there's no such thing as a bad Monty Python movie. So, and that was all about the political system and religion. They tackled things you're not supposed to talk about. And that's what the great stand-ups do as well. So these are unprecedented times and the physical, mental health and economic impacts may affect us all for some time to come. But mm -hmm. do you have any hope for the future and what positives do you think may come out of this strange time that we live in now? I have a lot of hopes for the future and, and we, I talk about it with my friends that I respect and we all talk about it. I'm sitting on a bench with Jeff Ross and Bill Burr 
and my friend Mike Binder, who directed uh, a lot of things in London. He did a movie called Londinium with Mariel Hemingway. And um, he's just, you know, if he wanted to live in London, I, I want to live in London <laughs> when this is over and I'm allowed, I'm flying to London and living there. Well, we'll see how the election goes. <laughs> That's a good one. I, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful because of you guys. I'm hopeful because look, your basis of what you're doing, your mission statement is kindness. Your mission statement is to do something good for people, to help people through life. Everybody has a hard go. Very few people. I always said nobody gets a free ride except for bus drivers. And they don't get a free ride now. I mean, it's, they're taking their life in their hands if there's buses running. But um, yeah, I, I'm hopeful that in the next year or two, you can't move forward without going backward. Just yeah. can't, you can't do great things without pain. And that's from all of the earliest teachings in Judaism. It's yeah. the first stuff you read. Um, and uh, if anybody goes into the New Testament, boy, that, uh, that's not a laugh riot. You know, it's, there's no jokes in there. It's, a, it's, a, it's hard stuff. Um, but the world, I, I have to be positive for humanity. I have no choice. And, and it's because of you guys. I mean, when I, when I was asked to do this, I'm like, wow, what a beautiful mission statement you guys have. And what a great thing you're all doing. And I know you're all going through stuff. You know, even people that go, I'm okay. I mean, none of us are really okay. I mean, we're not out being with friends. We're not able to, and even if we, or even if you're a loner, I'm, I kind of don't, my life doesn't change that much in quarantine. I like being home. Um, I'm kind of known. So I pick my spots where I want to go. I, you know, I don't really go to the market. <laughs> That's really a spoiled brat. But, um, but I, do, I do think we're going to definitely get through this time. This disease is going to be solved just like all the others. It's just that this was so crazy. No one wanted to stop their lives and didn't want to follow rules to be able to let it stop spreading. And it's like, that's not good enough. You know, don't tell me to wear a mask. I, I, I need to give, you know, give me the vaccine. I want the cure. We're yeah. going to have that. And then we've got a lot of human rights stuff to figure out. Yeah. And how do you get rid of hatred? How do you get rid of anti-Semitism? I don't know if you ever do. I, I don't think you ever do. I think you process it, you talk about it, and then we all need to be protected from hate. We need to somehow diffuse hate. And that's, I don't know, I mean, mankind, womankind. Womankind's not as flawed as mankind. You know, it's this, there's, people are programmed and if they don't have the IQ points, they just believe the rhetoric of what they were taught. And so somehow we have to educate and we have to help people with mental health issues. I've had a lot of that in my family. And that also doesn't help, especially if one of your leaders has mental health issues. Yeah. So um, we're going to get through this. I know we're going to get through this time mm -hmm. and, and goodness will prevail. It just is really hard. Yeah. I mean, we all want it. So there's no one on this Zoom that doesn't want it. Maybe someone watching it after the fact will go, oh, I don't, I don't want it. Well, sorry, maybe you do. Maybe you just didn't get hugged by your mom or your dad, you know? Definitely. So finally, the big question. We always ask our guests to nominate and ask another celebrity to be a future guest on our program and help entertain us all stuck at home. 
If you have enjoyed tonight's experience, and we very much hope you have, who would you like to nominate tonight? Do you think you might be able to convince another comedian friend to join us? Yeah, yeah, I, I could, I could talk to. Uh, I know a lot of Jewish comedians. Um, do they have to be Jewish? Mm, no, I don't think all of our guests have been Jewish. But okay, I, I would, I would, uh, I was going to ask another question, but it's too, too uh, PG. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be a good boy. Um, I'll, I have a few people I can suggest that would be that would be great um, that are that are of the Jewish persuasion, and it's very hard to persuade Jewish people to do uh, yeah. Zoom calls these days. Yeah, I, I have a few people. Amazing. Maybe jo maybe Josh Radner would yeah. want to do it. That would amazing. be a good one. That would be amazing. Thank you. Absolutely. When I retweet this out, I'll send it to Josh and ask him if he would like to uh, be part of it. That would be amazing. Thank you so much. I know a lot of Jews. <laughs> Jews know a lot of Jews. <laughs> yeah, they do. They, they somehow find each other because we're all ready, to, you know, when we get the call to save the world. I don't know. <laughs> but well, thank you. I love doing this. This was really nice. You all were so nice. I, I wish the best for all of you. I hope to see you all when I come back to England, whenever it is, and you can all have a fake ID and get into my show. Definitely. Thank you so much for joining us and inspiring us and giving us a much needed laughter. We've really loved hearing about your career and your experience and getting lots of advice for coping through these crazy times. We wish you well and good luck with all that comes next. Thank you once again. Please stay safe, take care, and we hope to see you again soon in London. Thank you so much, Abby. I hope to see you all. And when that day comes, when I'm in London, we'll be through this time. We'll, we'll all be healthy. So uh, I wish you all a lot of health and all your families a lot of health and a lot of happiness. And uh, we'll get through this. And thank you for doing what you're doing. It's really wonderful. Yeah. Couldn't do it without people like you. Oh, uh, you could. You could. You're pretty good. Thank you. Thank you. Shalom. And that's it. Thank you for joining us tonight. Thank you so much for listening to Jersey Virtual, We Are Live. Take care of yourselves and stay safe and we shall see you again soon.